We're in part two of a series that's incredibly encouraging called It's Not About You. Come on, somebody. And so we are on a mission this year to have the most discouraging sermon titles in all the land. But I want to just continue this series part two because we started it off with this idea that culture really has sown into us this idea of self-focus, of a life that's very self-focused, a life that's very selfish. And in fact, it's almost become a part of our culture, almost a goal of being American, it seems like, to be self-focused, to get what's yours, to continue to strive to get the things that you deserve and to get your eyes off everybody around you and not care about what it does to your world. And so I just want to encourage you today as we go into part two is be open to maybe some things that you were closed to before last week. Be humble in some areas that maybe you are not humble in. Be open to some things that God might be wanting to change in your own heart. And so as I say before every service here at Victory, go ahead and grab out your Bible and your notes to take some things down that maybe God is showing you. And if you like technology, you can download the Victory Church app on Android or iOS. You can search for that. And we got some fill-in-the-blank versions of the notes. We make it really easy, all right, everybody? You just have to fill in a couple of words as we go. And we even highlight those words yellow for you so you know which ones to fill in. And I enjoy fill-in-the-blank versions. But something to reference. We want to give you something in your hands that you can reference not only this week but later on in your spiritual journey. That maybe you're not dealing with some of these things right now, but as they come attack, as they come up, you can say, you know, I think the pastor said something. I think there was a verse about something. No, you can begin to reference those things on your spiritual journey. It's an important part of growing that we're able to remember those. And so I just want to encourage you with that. But in this series, we're talking about how so often our culture has conditioned us to be self-focused. Our culture has conditioned us to think only of ourselves. And so we were reminding ourselves that it's not about us. We've been reminding ourselves that everything doesn't revolve around us, that it's about something far greater and far bigger. Because when we allow that selfish focus to creep into our spiritual lives, it can be incredibly toxic. Honestly, it can set us back from any of the goals and the gains that we've made in our spiritual journey. This one issue can set us back years and years. We saw last week in Philippians how Paul said that we become earthly focused. That our minds are set, that we become enemies of the cross of Christ. Speaking to Christians, not the world, he's speaking to the church. That we become enemies of the cross of Christ by keeping our mind on earthly things. That our desires and our focus are on earthly things. And then in verse 20, he goes on to say, but our citizenship is in heaven. That our citizenship is not in any land here on earth. Our citizenship is not on anything that we think we can gain, any earthly focus, but it's in heaven. That our our lives are ruled by a different set of rules and customs and laws. And then we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. That we await our savior. That he's coming back for us. Amen, church? That he loves us and that we live our lives by a different set of rules. And Jesus taught this perspective of how we need to leverage earth things for the eternal in Matthew chapter 6. You can turn there if you have one of these paper Bibles, right? Come on, they made it in a paper bag, everybody. So if you don't, don't worry, we got it up on the screen too. But Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is speaking to this mentality and he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. He's trying to teach us this lesson to not bring our earthly ideas, our earthly logic into spiritual things. 
Because in the earthly things, and honestly you'll hear that taught, is you need to store up things on earth and you need to store up things for yourself and you need to prepare all of these things and make yourself rich and amass these things. But Jesus is saying, don't do that. Don't bring that earthly mindset into spiritual things, he says, but store up treasures in heaven. Don't put your stock in earth. Devise a way to be kingdom-minded. Devise a way to be kingdom-minded, to store up treasures, to send treasure ahead of you to heaven, to have an eternal perspective and eternal focus. And so the question then would be, how do we do that? Which I want to teach you how to do this morning. So incredibly practical in part two, everybody. And so we're going to learn how we're supposed to do that. Because last week we talked, hey, it's all about our citizenship in heaven. The most important thing, where we will spend eternity, that our life on earth is just a vapor. That honestly, we need to come to that perspective that the life we're living, the moments day to day that we live, honestly, it's a vapor in light of eternity. And the Bible talks about that being a mist here today and gone tomorrow, that that can't be where our focus is. If we actually want to be followers of Christ, that cannot be where we put all of our focus. It can't be where we do spend all of our strength trying to amass things on this earth. But if we're going to send treasure ahead of us, we have to embrace the perspective of looking at what actually matters getting our eyes off of earth and on eternity. And I love this part of the Gospels because Jesus is actually on his way to Jerusalem and he's got his team behind him. And so Jesus, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus is actually on his way leading his team. And so the way it would happen is Jesus would kind of get on ahead and then the team would come behind and all the people that would kind of follow behind Jesus and they're all amazed and they're just kind of traveling along, all right? And so Jesus gets his team aside. He kind of separates the 12 from everybody else who's following him. He gets the team aside and he starts telling them, hey, guys, it's about to be my time to go. And so we need to figure out what this thing's going to look like. And then he's going to begin telling them what's going to happen. And so he starts to outline as when we get to Jerusalem, here's what's going to happen to me. So he's telling his trusted 12 all the things that are about to occur. He talks about his betrayal. He talks about torture. He talks about the crucifixion. He talks about all these things that are about to happen and resurrection. And he talks about this amazing time and watch what the disciples do. Because Jesus is having this moment. He's detailing what's going to happen to him. And it's fascinating to me. As soon as he gets done, his disciples commit this sin that we're talking about by bringing earthly things into a spiritual moment. They, they get their earthly focus all out of whack on because they're in a spiritual moment. Jesus is telling them what's about to happen. And James and John, two of the guys that are really close to Jesus, two of the 12 disciples, they pull Jesus aside. And so back there in Mark chapter 6 where Jesus is walking with them and they pull Jesus aside and they talk to him and they're like, Jesus, like we know you just talked about how you're about to go give your life. And we know that you talked about how that's all going to happen. But Jesus, when you get to your kingdom, you're not going to forget about us, right? You're not going to forget your boys, Jesus. You're going to you're still going to like give us good seats. Right. And so they, they pull Jesus aside and they're like, hey, Jesus, like. Like, we know you talked about all that torture stuff and all that other things, but you're not going to forget about us, right? When you get to heaven, when that, that kingdom comes. And I can just imagine Jesus looking like, they're going to rip my beard out. They're going to rip skin off my body. They're going to torture me. I'm going to die, and then I'm going to raise from the dead, which nobody believed him because nobody was there on resurrection morning, right? He's telling them these things, and all they can think about is like, hey, are we going to get good seats? Like, are we going to do those things? And so he's trying to prepare them. For this spiritual thing that's about to happen, this resurrection, this incredible invasion of God's grace and mercy. He's trying to prepare them. And all that's on their mind is like, where am I going to sit in the kingdom? Like, can you give me good seats? Can you run my program? Can my ministry really take off? Can like you sing my favorite song? Can you? They have this earthly focus 
of what should have been an incredible moment, learning moment, honestly growing moment for them, but all they can think about is their focus. And it can be incredibly toxic in the kingdom when this happens. Now, the other 10, right, they find out what James and John are asking about. All right, they're human. They hear and they're like, why, why did you have to go ask Jesus? Like, what, why did you go aside with him? Like, what are you asking? Him? What are you talking to? Like, why did you have to go with the boss in the side room, right? Come on, why did you have to have that conversation with him? And they have this perspective. And so they get angry at them. They get angry at the other disciples. And so Jesus has to refocus them, which honestly is encouraging to me as a leader. Because any of you who run a company or any of you who have employees or things, you know how this is as a leader of people. How oftentimes one person will ask for something, right? An extra day off or an extra vacation time or an extra thing. And then the whole staff hears about it. And right now everybody's mad at so-and-so and so-and-so's mad. And it's this thing. And so as every leader has to do, Jesus has to pull them aside and like, hey, 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 guys, 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 guys. It's not about that. It's not about the extra vacation, not about who sits where in the kingdom. Let's refocus. Let's get our eyes off of that. And let's focus on what actually matters. And he begins to tell them, like, you guys are focused on this idea. I'm telling you, I'm going to go and give my life. And all that you can think about is where you're going to sit. All you can think about. Verse 42, he tries to gather them. Like, guys, listen. He says after this, he calls them together and says, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. So this is the non-Jews, the ones who aren't living by God's standard. He's saying, you know that they lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man, Jesus is saying, I'm God and I didn't come to lord it over you. If anybody could, I could have. But I didn't do that. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus gives this incredible leadership principle and then he teaches us to embrace this spiritual perspective of not how much can I get, not how much can I amass, not where is my position going to be in the kingdom, but this idea of he didn't even come to be served, he came to serve and to love others. How can we be focused on the eternal? First thing I want you to jot down in your notes if you're taking them today is earthly influence controls through position. Earthly influence, Jesus says, controls through position. I love this perspective. He says, you know how the Gentiles, those ones who aren't living to God's standard, those non-Jews, those who aren't living how God wants them to, when they get into leadership, it's important to them the position that they hold. That the way they're, how many people follow them? How many people listen to what they say? How many people can they control and manipulate? How many can their position allow them to dictate to? When they get into leadership, and some of you actually work for people like that, earthly influence controls through position and through power. Thinks that because of the title or the position or the power, now I can control this many people, and maybe I can amass more people that I can control. It's all about me. It's what I can accomplish. And those love position through power. And this perspective is incredibly toxic when it comes to the body of Christ. I don't care what any other leadership book says. I don't care what any guru tries to push as the steps to this. This perspective is toxic to the body of Christ. It's not part of the kingdom. This idea that a title or a position should now be lorded over to control and manipulate people for our own gain. That we can amass power and hold it and love control through power. You think about the Pharisees. That all they cared about is who sees me and who knows that I am in this position and what robes do I get to wear. 
And what prayers do I get to pray in front of people because they need to know the position of power and authority that I'm in? This toxic perspective of the Pharisee that says, well, how many people can I get to follow me and my customs? How many people can I control? And so many times Paul says we make ourselves enemies of the cross of Christ. Enemies of the cross of Christ, setting our mind and our focus on earthly things. Thinking that this is somehow part of the kingdom. How many people can I get to follow me? We've brought our earthly perspective into spiritual things. And Jesus says, don't be that way. I'm going to give my life. I'm on the way to Jerusalem, not to amass a great following of people that I can control. I'm going to give my life, even for the ones who are going to kill me. So I'm going to serve. And all you can think about is, am I going to get a good seat in the kingdom? So that's the wrong perspective. You should be thinking about, how can I also give my life? How can I also serve those around me, serve those who hate me, serve those who misuse me? How can I also be like Christ? He's saying the perspective is all because jot it down. If you're taking notes, spiritual influence serves through compassion. Earthly influence is all about control. How can I control through the power and the title that I have? But spiritual influence, godly leadership says, how can I serve through compassion? And I want you to see there's an interesting thing here where the spiritual rules of the kingdom are in complete opposite to earthly logic. See, the principles of earth are governed by logic that we are comfortable with, that we understand. It's logical. We get it. But heaven's completely counterintuitive. Jesus said, you want to be the greatest of all, you have to serve. You want to increase, you have to give. You want to gain life that is truly life, you have to die. The spiritual rules of heaven and the kingdom are counterintuitive. And so it becomes incredibly uncomfortable because we can't quite make it out. We can't quite make it make sense. In fact, this is just free for somebody today. This is often can serve as a warning for am I really serving? Am I really seeking the direction and the wisdom of God in my life? This right here, this principle of the counterintuitiveness of the kingdom principle, this principle can actually serve as a warning sign. Am I actually seeking God for my life or am I relying on my logic of my own brain? Because it makes sense, right? We think, well, this must be, this must be a word from God because it makes sense. And I, it really makes sense for me to use my position to control, to amass this thing. And it really makes sense for me to cut some corners if it benefits my bank account. And so I think that must be from the Lord. And we begin to make these decisions based off of what we think is logical. And it just goes along. This, this must be a word from God because it goes along with what my brain was already thinking. What my brain was already, listen to me, everybody, if every decision, every action, every relationship that I take, every move that I make, I see no flaw in that. There is nothing but perfection as far as the eye can see. Then I am either perfect or I am blind. And I know myself well enough to know which of those is true. Come on, somebody. If every action I take is somehow just perfect, and it must be God's word because it lines up with what I wanted to do already. Oftentimes, especially in my own life, in my own walk, this is an indicator of whether or not I'm truly seeking God. If everything lines up with my own logic, I've probably missed the boat. Listen to me, everybody. The kingdom is uncomfortable for what we've allowed culture to shape our logic into. It's uncomfortable. So often what God calls us to do is uncomfortable for what we've allowed culture to shape our logic into. Spiritual influence is totally different. It's all about serving people through compassion. If you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you have to be the least, Jesus said. It doesn't make sense to our cultural logic, these spiritual principles. And even the Son of Man, the Savior of the world, didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
to love others, to reach out and to serve others, to make a sacrifice so that he could. And I'm telling you, earthly leadership is how many people can I impress with myself? How many people can I impress with my giftings and my abilities? How many people can I amass to follow me and be so in awe of who I am? That's earthly influence, spiritual leadership. It says, how many people can I get under and help lift? How many people can I actively seek out so I can serve them? How many people can I love as Christ loved us? I want to be in to serve others. And so that's what spiritual greatness. You want to be great in the kingdom of heaven. We have to learn how to serve. Spiritual leadership, truly godly leadership without position or title or power. Leadership rises to the top by serving others. By serving others. That's why Matthew chapter 9, Jesus speaks again when he saw the crowds. It says when Jesus saw them, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I love that perspective of Jesus. As he begins to speak to the disciples, it first says what his mentality was, what his perspective was when he saw the crowds. It says that he saw them, had compassion on them because he saw what they were going through, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is observing the people in the crowd. He didn't see a crowd and see an opportunity to suddenly be popular. He didn't see a crowd following and suddenly see an opportunity for power and for prestige. He didn't see a crowd and think, suddenly my time has come to be great. No, listen to me, everybody. Jesus was great all on his own, all right? He didn't see a crowd and think, this is my chance. He saw a crowd and he had compassion. Because he sees the people. He sees them harassed and helpless. He notices their mannerisms. He sees how they interact with each other. He can see the people. He can see their hearts. He can see, how can I take care of these people? A lot of broken people out there. And he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. A lot of people out there who need Jesus. A lot of people out there who are broken and hurting and who need Jesus. Listen to me, church. They don't need you and your ideas of popularity and grandeur. They need you and the Jesus that you serve. They need you to bring them the hope. They don't need you to somehow bring yourself and say, how great can I make? I see the crowd. It's my time. They need you to see them as people, as sheep without a shepherd, and to introduce them to the only shepherd, Jesus, to begin to show that through serving. The problem is we got a lot of people with the wrong perspective. Jesus says it's, the harvest is plentiful. There's a lot of people who need salvation, but the workers are few. A lot of people who are too focused on their own ministry. A lot of people too focused on their own things they can gain. A lot of people too focused on their own ideas. Like, can I get my stuff taken care of? Can I get my needs met? Am I not getting enough from Jesus? Am I not getting enough from the kingdom? Am I not getting enough from this church? Am I not getting enough for myself? Instead, there are people who are waiting to hear about the gospel. And he says, we can't have this earthly focus, this earthly perspective. That it's not about us. It's not about us, church. And I love this perspective. He said, ask the Lord of the harvest. He said, begin to pray that God would change some hearts. Let's begin to pray as a church that God would change some hearts, the Lord, to send out workers into the harvest field. And I love this. As Jesus is encountering this crowd, as he's observing their mannerisms, as he's seeing how they interact with each other, and he's seeing them harassed and helpless, and he's having compassion. He's not having, how can I take advantage? He's not taking, how can I? He's having compassion on them. He's noticing what's going on in their lives. God hasn't called us to be great. That's an earthly, self-focused mindset. That's not what God has called us to. He said, look, you're citizens of heaven. Your life and the rules of our lives is governed by a different place. Can't bring these earthly things into the kingdom. 
The rules don't apply in the kingdom. You set yourself up as an enemy of the cross. We attempt to bring these things. Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, if you really want to have treasure in heaven, watch this. We have to learn to serve. He says, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. If you bring that earthly focus, if you try with all your might to grip with your cold fingers this life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, for the gospel, you will save it. He says, if you give up your life for my sake, you'll find actual life. I told you the kingdom sets itself up in opposition to the logic of our culture. It says that you have to grip life with all that you've got. You've got to hang on to every moment. You've got to amass things for yourself. But the kingdom says, how can I serve others? That's the heart of the kingdom. Too many of us have that, that earthly paradigm we're trying to bring into a spiritual environment. Jesus taught us this way. You want to fulfill life. You want to actually be great in the kingdom. You want to fulfill what God has called us to do. It can't be about us. It cannot be. It's about serving. It's about using everything God has done in our life to leverage everything in this world for eternity. And number one, jot it down. How can we do that? You've got to find your purpose. If we're going to be followers of Christ, we have to find our purpose. And I've got three things for you because I've got preacher's disease and it's got to come in threes. All right, everybody. But I've got three things that I believe will help us this week and honestly in the weeks to come to serve in the kingdom. To begin to lay aside the earthly focus and to be actually go after what God has for us. And the first one, you got to find your purpose. And I'm just going to give it away because it's the same for all of us. We exist on this earth to tell others about eternity. The only reason you and I are still here is to tell others about Jesus. That's our purpose. Our purpose is to fulfill the commission to tell everyone everywhere about Jesus Christ. I love the way 1 Peter chapter 2 says at verse 9, you are a chosen people. I love that thought that have you ever thought that you are chosen? That it's not random. It's not that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that God has chosen you a special possession. And God chose you. You were made on purpose and for a purpose. That God has a reason for you here. That we all have a purpose to fulfill on this earth. That you are a chosen people. And watch why he chose you. That you may declare. That now that he's chosen you. That you may declare the praises of him. Who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. One of the things I love most about that verse. Is it promises God's going to work on us first. He calls us out of darkness and into light. He brings us out of brokenness into a place of healing. God God calls us. We're chosen. God's going to work on us so that we can then declare his goodness. The reason you've been chosen, the reason you're a royal people, the reason that we even exist on this earth so we can tell others about Jesus, that we can begin to share the love. Jesus said, go into all the world and be a witness of what? Of what God has done in our lives. A witness of what? Of what God has done in your life. The witness of what? Of how God has set you free and how he wants to set free others. That we are a witness of what God has done with us. In Romans it says, and it's not in the fill in the blanket. Romans it says that God has reconciled with us through Christ. And now committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. All that means is now we have been made right with God. And on the back end of this now we are called to tell others how they can also be right with God. We are called to tell others how they can get right with God, how everyone else can also have eternal life. Come on, go tell it on the mountain, right? Go tell on the mountain everywhere that what? That Jesus Christ is born. We need to shout it from the mountain. We need to begin to shout it from the mountain that that's our calling in this life. Come on, those old songs, they're not cool, but they'll stay stuck in your head forever, all right, everybody? 
We need to begin to declare who our God is. That's our calling, our purpose on this life. Because if the goal was just your and my salvation, then God could have just killed us right after we got saved. Come on. If that was the only goal, then probably that would have been better because most of us are more prone to mess it up in this life than we would be, right? Because that's just, God could have just taken us right up. So right when we got saved, I would have just, I don't mind just going on to heaven. If that was the only goal, if my salvation was all that it was about, then I would just let the Lord just go. Come on, as soon as you raised your hand, yeah, I accept Jesus in your life. One of our ushers would just step behind you, right? And just end it right there. Come on, somebody. Now, it'd be a little bit harder to get people saved, right? At that point, it'd be like, it'd be, that church over there is just killing people. They're just killing. Might be a little, our, our outreach ministry might see a dive in the numbers. But there'd be no reason. We are on this earth to tell others about Jesus. That you have a purpose, church. That you were saved on purpose and for a purpose. That God has something for you to do. And it's the same for all of us to tell others about Jesus. To go tell it on the mountain. Number two, find your passion. Find your passion, because the truth is we all have a unique role to play in how we shout it from the mountain. We all have a unique role to play in how we go tell it. We have a unique role to play, a place for us that God has used us with our talents and our abilities to reach. We got to find our passion. First Corinthians chapter 12 says all of you together are the one body of Christ. And each one of you is a separate and necessary part of it. I love that you are separate. Like, you don't get into heaven because grandma prayed for you, all right? I'm just going to pop that bubble right there. All of us are separate. Well, you've got to get it on your own. You've got to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. You need to accept him and follow him with your own life. You don't get in because anybody else was saved. You don't get in because anybody prayed for you. You get in because you accept Jesus as the Lord of your life. But then you are also necessary. That each one of us is also a necessary part. Because I think there's a mentality that has seeped into the body of Christ. And honestly, in the church in America, that says that there are parts of the body that maybe are more important than other parts. There's this mentality that has taken a hold that there are only two or three positions in the body of Christ that we celebrate. And all the rest of them, well, it doesn't really matter. They're just replaceable Nobody would really know if I'm in the game or if I'm on the sideline. Nobody would really notice if I'm really doing my part because they're the only things that really matter. We just celebrate two or three positions in the kingdom. Everybody wants to be the evangelist, right, with millions of people in far off countries. Everybody wants to be the Christian billionaire funding and building. Everybody wants to get on stage and be the singer. Come on, we just want to be the singer. Everybody wants those positions and we forget about the other parts of the body. We only celebrate those. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. God has placed each part of the kingdom just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Can you imagine what the church would look like if we all were only good at one thing? If all of us, if the church around the world, we all had one talent, and that's the only thing we could do. Can you imagine what the church would look like? Not just, there would be whole ministries of people that would never be reached because we don't have that one thing, and we'd be fighting. Who can do that one thing better? We'd all go after that one ability or that one gifting that we all think is so important. And he's saying every part of the kingdom is necessary. Every part is separate and necessary to the body of Christ. 
It would be chaos if we all, just on Sunday mornings, can you imagine, forget live streaming online. We would, we'd be all searching how to turn on the lights. we try to figure out how we could even do. It would be chaos, first of all. And second of all, there'd be ministries that just go to the way. We'd all be ministering to the same person and we'd all leave the 99, right? We'd just be after this one person that we think we, and we'd all leave the one that we're supposed to go after. The one that we're supposed to ministry to, it'd be, there'd be nobody, right, doing anything out in the forest. There'd be nobody ministering to people. There'd be nobody teaching the children. My God, the children. Come on, somebody. It would be this chaos if we all had one part of the kingdom. If we all had one thing that we did. It would be chaos in there. But he's saying every part, separate and necessary. Separate and necessary. Truth is, we need everybody. That everybody has a role, everybody has a place, that God needs them in that place, that he's placed them where he wants it. And how strange a body would be if it had only one part. Listen to me, church, the impact of the church, and this is the global church, the impact of a church is not in the celebrated heroes. It's not in the celebrated one or two that we put up. They have an impact, but the true impact is in the faithfulness of those who often remain nameless. It's in the faithfulness of those who have found their place in the kingdom and continue to live out the calling that they have. That's where the impact and the reach. The church grows because of those. Listen to me. The greatest rewards in the kingdom of heaven will go to those that you and I may not even know their name. The greatest rewards will go to those who are faithful in the place where God has placed them. I'm not saying we don't celebrate those who achieve great things for the kingdom. That's incredible. But we celebrate the faithfulness of those who know their part. And from the least to the greatest, they'll tell you they knew their part that God had called them to. Each person serves a role, not because they are great, but because he is great. Because we are called to reach people for Jesus in every place that he has placed us. But they had problems even back in the day. It's why Paul had to write this. They had problems of people saying, well... I don't really have an impact and my part isn't as great as someone else. And why am I not Paul? Why am I not Timothy? Why am I not those things? And Paul's writing to them. Each part of the body has its part to play. And so how can, how can the hand say to the eye that I can never say, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Listen to me, church, never find yourself in a position looking down on anybody else in the church for their role in the kingdom. Let it never be said of us that we look down on somebody else because God had called them to a place that we didn't feel was so important. And after we've settled that in our heart, let us never look down on ourselves because God has called us to a place that we don't think is important. God puts us where he wants us and he uses us for his glory. And who are we? Who is the clay that cries out to the potter? What is it you're making? We, we say, God, I thank you that you would even use me. I thank you that you would even use me in the kingdom. Because said we're separate and necessary. You are a necessary part. That place that God has placed you. God needs you in that place. We need you and the church needs you to fulfill that role of the body. You're separate and you are necessary to serve in the kingdom. Every one of us significant in the work. You have to find your passion. Number three, as we close, you got to find your people. We have our purpose. We have our passion. Now you've got to find the people that you're going to reach. You've got to find your unique people. Just as our passions and our talents and our giftings are unique and special, the people that we reach, we are called. God has you in that place for a purpose. See, Jesus didn't see a crowd. He saw people. And I'm telling you, church, we are not successful when we see crowds. We are successful when we see people. 
You want to have an impact on those in your world. Don't see them as the crowd. See them as people. You want to begin to serve and to love and to reach out. Be like Jesus and see them as sheep without a shepherd. People who are harassed and helpless. Begin to see them as people, not as an opponent. Not as some person that you can, you can win over with your logic and some person that you can just domineer over and control. Some person to add to your group of people that follow you. No, see them as people to be reached. People to be saved. People that God loves and so we love them too. Every person that you interact with. It's not a, a conflict to be won. It's not, it's not a criticism. It's not some argument that you somehow have to come on top of. We don't see them as that. Don't see it as crowds. See them as people. It's not about thousands of people. It's about the one. Once you found your passion and you know what your purpose is, it's about the one. It's not about seeing it as some crowd of people. It's about the single mom who's trying to make ends meet and raise her kids and trying to do trying to stay sane at the same time. It's about the one. It's about the family member who gets a diagnosis that they hear suddenly is terminal. And now they're scrambling. They don't know what to do and how to take care of their family and how to even deal with this thing that they've heard. It's about the one. It's about the family. That son is addicted and on the run from God and he's far away and our hearts breaks with them in that situation. It's about the one. And when you come across these people in your life, you may not know if anyone else can reach them. But I guarantee if you come across them, that God has you where he wants you to reach the one. To reach the one that he loves. And church, let our hearts break when we pass them by. And I'm not just preaching this out to you. This is something that breaks my own heart that I've seen in my own shortcoming that we have. That we would pass by the one because all we see are crowds. That we would leave the one because all we see are people that I can just control and manipulate. And if I can't do that, then they don't matter. And all we see are crowds that somehow boost our own popularity. Let that not be us, church. And we would see the one. That in our lives, we would live lives that are not earthly focused. It's not about us. It's not about us. It's about eternity. It's about the one. It's about those people whose lives hang in the balance. Their eternity lies on the other side of our obedience. Let us be the church. It's about the one. Each of us separate and necessary parts of the body of Christ living out our purpose. Not sitting on the sideline because we think we aren't the thing we thought was important. That God has us where he wants us that we can reach people. First Timothy chapter six, verse 18. We're going to close with this. Paul writes to young Timothy. He's a young pastor who has a lot of blessed people in his church. He has a lot of really, really blessed people in his church. And Paul writes to him and he says to Timothy, command them. Strong words that Paul is using. He's saying command them. And so I command you victory. I command you this Sunday morning, let us be good And rich in good deeds. Let us always seek out opportunities to do good. To be rich in good deeds. And to be generous and willing to share. Those who are blessed in this life. Those who are blessed in the culture and in the place that we are. He says, command them. Let's do good. Always be willing to share. Always be willing to serve. Always be willing to lift others. Always be willing to get your eyes off of your own earthly things. 
And why do we do that? Watch this in verse 19. He says, in this way, they'll lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. You want to send treasure ahead to heaven. You want your eyes on eternity. You want to get your eyes off the earthly focus. He says, command them to do good, to reach out to others, to serve, to live this life not about us. And he says, in this way, they'll lay up treasures for themselves in heaven, recognizing this world's not our home. This place that we're in, this is not our home. We're citizens of heaven. It says, command them so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Church, if I want to preach a message about how you can live life that is truly life, how you can live a life that's honestly not about us, how you can store up treasures in heaven, you have to recognize it's not about us, it's about serving. It's about reaching out, it's about following the example of Christ, that our lives are not about ourselves, that our purpose is to spread the gospel. That if we want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, we have to be the least. If we want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, we have to be the servant of all. If we want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, we have to follow the example of Christ. Come on, church, let's reach our generation for Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me as we close today? God, we ask that you would help each one of us find out that we are separate and necessary parts of the body of Christ, that you have us where you want us, that you want to use us for the kingdom. Father, give us the assurance and the strength that we know that you have chosen us, that you have a purpose that is clear for us, and that you can use the giftings and talents that you have gifted us with to reach others, to serve others, to change this generation. And Lord, we thank you that you are willing to use us. Maybe there are some of you who are here today and you find yourself far from God. And maybe you're in one of those positions that I talked about. Maybe you're struggling with something or maybe you found your world turned upside down. Maybe you're struggling with a pain or an addiction and you're wondering where God is in the midst of all of this. I just want you to know he loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And he still wants you. I don't care where you found yourself. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how far you've run. I want you to know God still wants you. And he's promised if you surrender your life to him, that he'll come in and make you new. That he'll take your brokenness and heal it. That he'll change your heart. That he'll give you the power to overcome. That he will make you more than an overcomer. He's made that promise in his word. And so I want you to know that today, right now, you can make that decision. A life of following Christ, it begins with submission. And so I just want to pray with you today to submit. If you say, that's me, you say, I've run so far. You say, I don't know if I can be saved. I want you to know that you can and that he's waiting for you. All of those who are in the room and those watching online, if you're listening to the sound of my voice, I want you to know that God loves you and he wants you. I'm not talking about joining a church. I'm not talking about joining religion. I'm talking about a relationship with Jesus. That it's never too late. That it's never too late. So if that's you today, I want to pray with you. If you ask, what does Jesus have to do with me? Jesus, the perfect son of God, 
who lived a life without sin, who died on the cross in your place and in mine, carrying the weight and the punishment of our sin upon him, but then raised three days later, overcoming death and the grave that anyone, anyone, including you, can call on the name of Jesus and be saved. That that promise of life is available to you. Don't let today go by without answering the call that God is tugging at your heart. The Bible says God put eternity into the hearts of men that we would seek him. That we would look for him. And all of us have asked those questions. Does life really matter? The answer is absolutely. Jesus Christ gave his life for you that you can be in relationship with him. That he can wipe the slate clean. That we can live this life of purpose for him. So if that's you today, I just want to pray a prayer with you of surrender. I'm not going to make you stand afterwards. I'm not going to make you come to the front. Those things that you're scared about, that's not going to happen. This is between you and Jesus. And I can give you the words. You have to say them and you have to mean them in your own heart. It's a prayer of surrender. So come on, church, let's pray with those. Nobody prays alone. Say these words. Say, Jesus, forgive me of all my sin, of all my mistakes. I believe that you died on the cross. And I believe that you rose again. And I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Father, I ask you, Lord, that you would give us the strength to begin to live out the calling we have in the kingdom. Father, I thank you that the people had victory. I thank you for the giftings and the callings that you've placed on us. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunities that you've given us. Lord, that you would remind us as we take a step this week, as we truly begin to live out the call that you have for us, you would remind us that it's not about us. That it's all about eternity. That it's all about lives being changed. And it's all about reaching the one who is lost. It's about seeing people. Lord, let us never see crowds as any way to boost our own popularity. Let us never see people as some way to boost our own power. Let us always see it, Lord, as a soul that you love and that you care for. Give us the passion to reach them for Christ. And we thank you again. Lord, we thank you again that you are so gracious. And so loving to use us. We'll give you all the praise and all the glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on church, can you put your hands together for what God has done today?